Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, vacations are great, and I had a great one, but there's something I think that's actually even better than a great vacation, and many of you know what I'm talking about, and if you don't know, I hope you get a chance to experience this. A very good feeling in life is the thought of, as you're driving home, we were at the beach, and you're kind of driving back from the beach, that thought of not dreading coming back to work, being excited about it, and you know, I kind of find myself in that spot. I love vacations. I love being away. love being with my family. But I also like coming back to work. I'm excited about being here today. I'm excited about what we're going to do over the course of the next few weeks. We're just within the you know kind of arm's distance of SEC media days in July, the season just around the corner. Recruiting talk is obviously red hot right now. And really, I kind of found myself kind of chomping at the bit this morning to be back here doing Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. So let me just say off the top of the program here, thanks for letting me be away last week, but also thanks for joining me here today as I kind of get back to work and we kind of have some fun. And, you know, it's one of those things where over the course of the time while I was away, I was, you know, not monitoring the news that closely, to be honest with you, because I do try to unplug when I go on vacation, but you can't help but notice some of the things that are going on. And you can't help but be reminded of something I kind of said to kind of close out the final live show I did, what, last Friday kind of reemerged as a little bit of a topic again last week there as well. And for those of you that listened to the pre-recorded shows last week, by the way, thank you for that. But the last live show that I did prior to today, two Fridays ago, I talked about the fact that I didn't think Georgia fans should panic about recruiting in light of a couple of decommitments that the program kind of had at the time. You remember the Barry Alexander thing and the, and the Dion Bowie thing and kind of everything that went down with that. And obviously there was potentially another reason to at least ask that kind of age-old question. It seems like at some point in time, every single summer, we're left to ask, hey, what's wrong with Georgia recruiting? What's going on with UGA recruiting related to whatever might be happening in that particular moment? It's kind of become a little bit of a joke, kind of a meme uh, among Georgia fans, because obviously by the time December, February rolls around when the actual hay is in the barn for that year's recruiting cycle, we find out there's nothing wrong with UGA recruiting. Everything is just fine. But in those kind of early days, these kind of summer times, there are moments in which you're kind of forced to wonder, hey, why did that happen? I, I expected this to be different. I expected Georgia to be sitting pretty here and at least either briefly or, or, or whatever. Sometimes you have these kind of weird things that sort of pop up. There was another one of those last week when Mikael Williams, the uh, impressive defensive lineman out of the Columbus area, ends up kind of, at least in my eyes, in my mind, surprisingly committing to USC. And a lot of folks are left to wonder, wait, you know, USC hasn't really been much of a player on the recruiting scene the last couple of years. All of a sudden, here's a guy that a lot of Georgia fans thought they were sitting well with, and all of a sudden, Williams ends up pledging to USC on the heels of losing the Bear Alexander commitment, once again, there was a chance to ask that, you know, what's wrong with UGA recruiting? Is everything okay here? What's going on here? And I, I guess I find myself, as I kind of get back to work here today, wanting to re-up what I said last Friday, that once again, I, I don't really think there's any reason to be concerned, any reason to be worried about Alexander D. committing. He was kind of a Texas guy, you know, all along anyway. We knew that was going to be a difficult commitment. The Mikhail Williams thing kind of still unsure exactly what happened with all of that. You know, you know, different people seem to have different perspectives on the internet about, you know, what George's relationship with Williams was at the time, what Williams' relationship was maybe with George at the time. You're just not quite sure what goes on with all of that. But in, in a lot of ways, the 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 stories that we're hearing right now I think are very much of the time in which we're living. This is a weird recruiting cycle for a second consecutive year. 2021 was weird because there were no visits. 2022 is weird because of the fact there are so many visits happening so close together, and it's kind of all kind of clustered here within the same time frame. And what it kind of reminds me of a little bit is, and I'm not a huge Game of Thrones fan. I never watched that show a ton, but I have seen a lot of the episodes. And there was one of the characters, Littlefinger, I guess he was called. And one of the statements that he made one time that I thought was kind of interesting, I think it's kind of true, and I think there's kind of an example of this right now, that chaos can be a ladder. In other words, that in crazy times, people at the bottom can sometimes sort of work their way to the top, just given the fact there's a lot of craziness going on. And then we saw that a year ago, right? Chaos being a ladder, at least momentarily for the 2021 class, 
when the world was shut down, everybody was kind of in lockdown, and all recruiting was taking place via Zoom. You'll remember that Tennessee was hoarding commitments, getting five-star this and four-star that, and all of a sudden Tennessee's like shooting up the recruiting rankings. And there was a lot of mainstream sort of drive-by attention of, wow, look how good Tennessee's doing at recruiting. For a while, that ladder of chaos, Tennessee kind of used it to its advantage to kind of work its way to the top. On shows like this, shows that are hopefully a little bit more plugged into what's happening in recruiting, we kind of shrugged that off and said it was unlikely to last, was not as big a deal as a lot of the mainstream media was suggesting that it was, and we turned out we were right on that. I think there's a similar kind of chaos happening here for 2022 there as well, where all of a sudden programs like USC, who obviously kind of a blue blood by nature and historically kind of a college football power, but not really kind of viewed that way the last couple of years, they sort of swoop in and get a commitment from a guy like Mikhail Williams. We're just in kind of a weird time right now where the visit high, the, the the sort of euphoric feeling that takes place when you take these visits, is probably a little bit more palpable than it's ever been before because these visits are coming after some of these players either have not taken visits in a very long time or just haven't sort of taken visits there at all. So for the most part, when I see, you know, high-profile decommitment from Georgia or, you know, UGA recruiting target who ends up committing somewhere else, for the most part, I still sort of respond to all of this with a shrug, not because I know exactly who's going to be in Georgia's 2022 class, but because I'm fairly confident when it's all said and done from a collection of possible names, and you know those names, guys like Travis Shaw and others, uh, Shaw, of course, uh, recently on campus there at, at UGA, the collection of names that George is kind of recruiting in, once everything sort of settles down and the chaos kind of dies down, then the programs that have consistently that have done well will start doing well again. And obviously, it stands to reason that George is one of those. But let me say one more thing about this before we move on. Here would be my advice to UGA fans about kind of how to view everything going on with those kind of like twin pillars of talk right now. The preparations of the upcoming season and the preparations for another, what you hope if you're a UGA fan, another elite recruiting class in 2022. Then a lot of ways what's happening with the current team getting ready for the current season might be more important certainly in my mind, maybe it should be in your mind there as well, than whatever might be going on with recruiting. Because I really believe that George is kind of set up right now to use what could happen on the field this year. And I realize that's a lot of, you know, hopes and and coulds and, you know, kind of hopeful language. I realize that. But George, I think, is set up to use this season to benefit recruiting in a way that I don't know has been that has been true in any other point in time under Kirby Smart. That part of what's going to play out on the field this fall, I think, will further cement what's going to happen in the December and then February after that when this 2022 class kind of is fully solidified and kind of comes to play. Let me give you an example of that. Another thing that happened while I was on vacation uh, this past week was the uh, Walter Camp preseason All-American team came out. And I saw where uh, Jordan Davis, the uh, obviously fantastic UGA uh, nose, nose guard, was a second-team All-American. And think about this for a moment. We've gotten used to Davis being a very good player at Georgia. But think about how amazing his story really is. That when Davis came out of high school, out of the state of North Carolina, by the way, looking forward to being back in his hometown of the Charlotte area for that Georgia-Clemson game to start the 2021 season. But if you want to go back to when Davis was recruited way back, what, class of 2018, am I right about that? Uh, uh, you know, way you know, way back a long time ago, if you, when he was brought into the University of Georgia, this is a three-star recruit. This is not a big-name guy. This is not a guy who is an obvious star in the making this is not somebody that you could have easily pegged for stardom played well almost right away when he was inserted into the lineup but a lot of what Davis has done at Georgia has been a high achieving overachieving type player the entire time that he's been here in fact let me kind of give you some of Kirby Smart's own words to back a lot of this kind of stuff up let's go back to the 2019 season for a moment when it had become obvious what kind of player that Davis was he's obviously I think even uh, you know eclipsed you know greater her you know horizons even since Smart said this but back in 2019 when Smart was talking about Jordan Davis he did a really good job of describing just how much Davis has done during his time at, at UGA and this is important I think it has an impact in UGA recruiting as well let me let you hear Kirby and then I will tell you why take a listen to this yeah, we were excited because we watched him, you know, do workouts. We saw him go through bags. We saw his agility, and it was just like it jumped off the screen. And my history has been someone that big, that athletic, has been really good player. It shocked me that he was not, uh, 
just, I guess, pursued heavier. I don't know what the right word is. Um, but he was in the Charlotte area and wasn't, you know, he was recruited by good schools. But I think a lot of people thought he might be an offensive tackle because he played some of that in high school and he was really athletic. Um, but we, we just saw natural talent, natural ability, intelligent kid, great mom. I mean, just wonderful kid. And uh, he, he, he still hasn't reached his full potential. That's the hardest part for him to acknowledge because he's very athletic for a large man. And um, we got we to gotta get the most out of him. So let me kind of recap what Kirby Smart says there because I think it's really interesting. And to me, it's one of the great success stories that Smart has had since he's been head coach at Georgia. What Smart says there is, in the person of Jordan Davis, we identify talent that not everybody around the country saw. Now, Davis had plenty of offers, and he was obviously you know, a, you know, a, a legit college prospect, but Georgia seemed to see more in Davis than some of the other big-time powers around the sport saw. That's success story number one. But then when Davis gets here, there's even more development of his skill set that's allowed him to be even better than just a nice little player, someone who exceeds his third, you know, uh, you know, three-star recruit status. You know, Davis has now become, as I said a moment ago, a preseason All-American for the 2021 season. And Smart even alluded to that, saying as good as he was in 2019, there's still even more room for him to improve. And as we've talked about many times during the offseason, there's now a chance that Davis could even be a first-round pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. Now, many of you know what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, even if it's obvious. If that's what George is doing with a former three-star recruit who some people thought was an offensive tackle, Imagine what they can do with some of the you know, truly elite five-star type prospects that we've mentioned when it comes to defensive line recruitment for Georgia this past couple of years. That a lot of folks are wondering, what's Georgia's pitch right now to Walter Nolan, Travis Shaw, you know, you know, formerly Bear Alexander before uh, Alexander's decommitment or whatever else. I think Georgia's pitch right now is look at the guys we currently have on this roster and look what we're doing with them. Look at what's on the horizon for them. And as Davis plays out his season the way that it might work out, to say nothing of a guy like Devontae White, who thinks also in a pretty good spot there as well. What happens on the field for Georgia here this fall may set up very well what's going to happen with the following recruiting class after that. This is truly a deep year for defensive line recruiting, maybe as deep as we've talked about on this show in a number of years. And for those guys watching Georgia to see where they fit in, the success of a guy like Davis, I think, gives them a pretty good vision of how they could perform at UGA there as well. I've gone a little long on that topic, but let me kind of shift gears here briefly and do something else just for a moment. I thought there was something interesting the other day at CBS Sports in relationship to JT Daniels. Ben Kerchival, a writer there, puts his list together of his various tiers of quarterbacks. He has like a tier one, a tier two, kind of on and on you go. We'll probably do more on this during the week, but I did want to highlight what Kerchival said about uh, Daniels in terms of his tier one status. There are only like five quarterbacks he gave tier one status to. The most prominent name on that list is Spencer Rattler, the Oklahoma quarterback. Uh, but Daniels was also kind of included in that group as a guy who could be an All-American by the end of the year, someone who could be a Heisman Trophy candidate there as well. Kerchival wrote some nice things here. Let me read this briefly. He says, Daniels is slotted in the first tier since he's at least ha has another year under his belt from USC in 2018, meaning he's slightly more experienced. But, Kerchival says, there is some potential mixed in with this rank, too. He was a clear upgrade for Georgia towards the end of last season. With a full, healthy offseason, Daniel's stock is rising quickly. That's Ben Kerchival from CBS Sports. I'm going to say this just quickly, and then we'll uh, kind of move on here. I saw some pushback to some of this online over the weekend of, people kind of giving you the yeah but well actually stuff on social media of well who did who did Daniels play when he got a chance to play for Georgia a year ago uh the SEC competition was lesser than some of the better teams that Georgia had played earlier in the year and it was Mississippi State and Missouri and uh South Carolina it was lesser SEC competition it was also a pretty stout bowl team in Cincinnati who will start this upcoming year as a preseason top 10 team there as well we talked about that a little bit on one of the vacation shows last week that all of a sudden that went against Cincinnati for Georgia actually looks pretty good but beyond that while there wasn't an Alabama or a Florida on the schedule that JT Daniels beat there also wasn't a UT Chattanooga or a Charleston Southern or a Louisiana Monroe or any kind of non-SEC non-Power 5 team for for Daniels to beat up on there as well but actually the four games that Daniels played fairly representative I think of of what a full season's worth of stats could look like and it's not just the fact that Daniels played well when he played for Georgia a year ago it's also that he got a chance to be a part of an offense that seemed to 
trust what Daniels was able to do, and this matters to me. The fact that Todd Munkin had seen JT in practice, had worked with him in film room, and all of a sudden when Daniels was ready to play quarterback, all of a sudden Munkin was ready to give him an offense that allowed him to throw the football a lot more than we've sometimes seen Georgia quarterbacks throw. That, to me, is a uh, big part of the story for JT Daniels. Yes, as Kerchival writes, there is still some potential kind of mixed in with whatever you expect from JT Daniels, but Daniels actually starts this upcoming season as proven a commodity, I think, as we've you know had in the Kirby Smart era. Probably only Jake Fromm, you know, maybe transitioning from 2018-2019, the only example of a quarterback being more established than what Daniels is right now. Georgia obviously has been one of these teams that has seemingly been a quarterback away for quite some time, and I think, based on what CBS Sports is writing here, what others have said, JT Daniels very well might be that missing piece quarterback for the Dogs here in 2021. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Our podcast audience, great to have all of you with us there as well. For those of you that tuned in and checked out our shows last week, thanks so much for doing that, allowing me to be away. Really, really enjoyed that, and uh, just really happy to be back here live again today. So much fun. Of course, none of this would be possible that our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia making all of this uh, work for us here in our beautiful studio, but also making things work for you around the home there as well, equipping you with energy-efficient windows and doors. And you know by now, because I've been telling you about this, those uh, windows and doors are a great thing. By the way, I was driving around uh, Florida, and it's was, it was kind of cool. Uh, I saw a, a house that was being kind of renovated and, and, and built up, and the windows they were putting in their uh, house were Pella windows. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I should take a picture of that and show it on the air. Uh, but it was, uh, nonetheless, it was uh, nice to see that because they are a nationally known company. But there's a locally owned branch right here in Georgia. That means family-owned service. That means you really get the best of both worlds. The unparalleled resources, the tre- tremendous service, it's all there for you for Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Also, great savings right now as well. You can currently get 10% off your entire project or 0% APR for 24 months. That's unbelievable savings. Uh, uh, for those, you know, really uh, better uh, energy-efficient windows and doors, good stuff all the way around there. Let me also give you a, a couple of ways to get in touch. You can give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Or check them out on the web at PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Just do me a favor. Tell them I told you here on Dog Nation Daily that Pella would take good care of it because I know they will do that. Hope you all had a happy Father's Day yesterday. Boy, I did. Uh, no better day than just kind of lay on the couch. You watch the U.S. Open golf. You kind of roll right into Game Seven of the uh, of the Hawks and the Sixers last night. Tremendous game that was. It's just a, kind of a great, perfect Father's Day. I will say this just very, very quickly, and then I will do around the doghouse. So we started the day yesterday kind of thinking the former dog, Russell Henley, was in a great spot, obviously, when the U.S. Open. He'd played well all weekend long. Not a great day for him, uh, you know, at least in terms of, uh, you know, keeping pace with a very, very deep leaderboard. But there was a weird moment yesterday, and I don't know if you kind of caught this. You know, Harris English, another UGA golfer, he finishes his round. He's like three under in the clubhouse sitting there. And there's a moment kind of like prior to Rom making those two big putts at 17 and 18 where, you know, he has to take relief. Uh, 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 Ustay's in kind of in a similar situation where, you know, he had to take a drop there as well. And, you know, if those, if either one of those situations go differently, all of a sudden English sitting in the clubhouse at 300, all of a sudden that score becomes very much more in play. So we sort of started the day thinking it was Henley's time to shine. It almost ended up being Harris English before it was all said and done. It was a really, really fun day of golf and cool to see the UGA guys all a part of all of that. But that's probably a different story for a different day. For now, let me go around the doghouse. It's a assisted day by our friends at AAA, and I was on the road last weekend. It is always so nice and so much fun to have – uh, AAA kind of giving me that peace of mind because when you're driving and hearing things are going on, you want to know if something goes wrong, you've got somebody on your side. And that's obviously what AAA uh, can do for me. And they also help deliver around the doghouse to us here today. And I just want to briefly mention the fact that Demetrius Robertson, I guess, reportedly goes in the transfer portal last week. And this is one of those things where obviously it speaks to just how difficult certain things in college football are to predict. Because when Robbins, Robertson, who was part of the 2016 class and goes to Cal and has a tremendous freshman season at Cal, he's kind of a freshman All-American, 700-plus yards receiving uh, for the uh, Bears there, kind of gets injured in 2017, shows up at Georgia in 2018. 
And I reckon, I, I just would about thought that Robertson was something fairly close to a sure thing in terms of the impact he'd be able to make at Georgia because not only had he been a five-star for the class of 2016, the only five-star receiver in that particular cycle, but he also played really well as a freshman there as well. And at Georgia, for whatever reason, it just didn't quite work out. You know, maybe in, you know, in the early stage of the 2018 season, you could have said, well, maybe Georgia's not using him enough. Uh, you know, by the time 2019 rolled around, I think that Georgia was trying to use him a lot more. And it just somehow wasn't clicking there with that offense. Maybe a similar story in 2020 there as well. There were some moments. He had a you know, nice game, what, uh, Vanderbilt, I guess, to start 2019 season. That kind of comes to mind. You know, there's some moments in which Robertson did some really good things, showed some flashes, but it just never quite came together. I think it was an experiment worth trying from Georgia's standpoint. And for Robertson, who seemingly gave it his all while he's at UGA, I don't think there's any reason to do anything other than wish him well as he now moves on to the next phase of his football life. But uh, just kind of interesting how sometimes you just don't quite know how these things are going to work out. In the case of Robertson, I thought it would have been set up for a very big Georgia career, and that just never quite happened. But we do wish him well and look forward to seeing the receivers that remain here at UGA with Robertson now seemingly on the move. We'll look forward to seeing uh, what they're able to uh, put together here for the 2021 season there as well. That is Around the Doghouse. As I said before, it's assisted today by AAA. And as I told you before, I think about AAA for their legendary roadside assistance. But that's not the only thing I want you to think about AAA when it comes to. Uh, how about auto insurance there as well? That's something you should really be aware of when it comes to AAA. Because when you switch and save with AAA, you can save on average $529. That is not an insignificant amount of money. Uh, pretty impressive stuff there. Uh, AAA taking care of folks in a big way when it comes to auto insurance you can find that out for yourself how about aaa.com slash auto insurance that's aaa.com slash auto insurance you can find out why so many who listen to dog nation daily each and every single day have switched and saved for their auto insurance with my friends from AAA. all right around the doghouse there uh there was some crazy stuff involving those lousy stinking gators over the course of the last couple of days before the show is done today i want to get into all of that some bizarre stuff involving Dan Mullen. We will do some of that with you here coming up in just a moment. But before that, on everything related to everything that's been going on with UGA, plus some very interesting, I guess, perspective on one of Georgia's top offensive linemen for the upcoming season. Let's do a lot of that with John Stinchcomb right now. Good to have him back with his live again. Good to have all of you with us here today. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And I'll say hello to John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Peloendo and Door of Georgia. John, I was briefly mentioning my uh, Father's Day a moment ago. I know you, I, I certainly hope you had a, a great Father's Day there as well, that it was a good time with your family and you got a chance to rest, relax a little bit. You like to put a bobber in the water every now and then. Maybe you get a chance to do that over the weekend too. Either way, no matter what you did, I hope it was good for you. Oh, I had a great time. It was, uh, and, and I hope for the same for all the dads out there. I hope they could enjoy the weekend the way we did. Yeah, no doubt about that. Let me briefly mention this. I talked about this before you joined us. You know, D-Rob in the uh, transfer portal now, and J John, if I was you know, going to place a bet on this when he first arrived at Georgia uh, ahead of the 2018 season, I, I guess I would have – assumed that he was pretty close to a sure thing, had not only been a former five-star recruit, had really been a, a terrific freshman receiver there at Cal. Very different kind of offense, very different kind of league. I, I certainly understand all of that, but he put up big numbers, and I would have assumed at least some of that would have translated to the SEC there as well. I don't blame Robertson for the fact that it didn't work out. Sometimes these things just don't, but to me, the D-Rob story is an example of College football just remains a very difficult thing to predict sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it may look like you're sort of sliding a, you know, a round peg into a round hole, but, but it's not always that way, is it? No, and, and that's what makes it, <laughs> it makes it exciting because, uh, you know, you get some of the guys that probably didn't get uh, as much acclaim coming out of high school that all of a sudden they emerge and they are real factors and, you know, there's some other guys, for whatever reason, um, that didn't quite find the success that they were projected for. And, and I, I feel like he was the guy that was a contributor during his entire time here at Georgia and, and really just was never able to, to maximize on that potential that everyone was so excited about. Even when he 
you know, I remember him as a high school recruit and, and uh, uh, just fanfare that surrounded uh, his recruitment. And, and when he went out to the West Coast, uh, everyone was expecting some some really great things. And hopefully there's more in his future and, and he can uh, realize some of those aspirations. So I think the obvious takeaway for me on this is is that I don't fault Georgia for going out there and trying to get him. I don't fault Robertson for giving it his all here at Georgia the last couple of years. And I think that Georgia should continue to do those things. When you have a chance to bring in a big-time transfer who does have some credentials and some talent and you know, you know, things like that, you should probably do that. But we as fans or you know, analysts, observers, the program – should also probably understand there's going to be a little bit of a ratio here. There's going to be a batting average. You know, if you bring in eight, four of them may really pop. You bring in six, two or three of them may really go on to have really good careers. That You're not going to bat a 1,000. There is no sure thing. There is no certainty. Some players will work out a little better than you assume they would be. You may could have said that about Lawrence Cager. He may have been better at Georgia than some people thought he might have been. In the case of Roberts, it may be not quite as good. That's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I don't think uh, the expectations for for Cager were anywhere close to his production level. Just because, uh, yeah, what a what a pleasant surprise that was. And I, that's the nature of, of the beast in college sports right now. With this transfer portal, it's there's a, a great deal of uncertainty of what you're getting and and what uh, it's going to look like in your system. I think system really does matter. You you put a guy in a, in a certain position. Uh, and he might thrive, and, and in other cases, it may not be that production that uh, you thought it was going to be on paper. I think Trey McKitty is another guy that kind of falls into that category when uh, he was transferring, and, and, and you hope for guys like Arik Gilbert when, when he gets into town that um, you're pleasantly surprised with, with his production because certainly the expectations for him are very high, but until you get in the system, until you realize uh, the fit and, and what it all looks like when it's put together, uh, there is a certain degree of uncertainty that you just have to be comfortable with. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We talked about the offensive line a lot the last time you were with us uh, for my uh, vacation show. But since we've spoken, there's also been some interesting news come out. Walter Camp has got its preseason All-American list, and Jamari Salyer shows up there. second-team All-American and, you know, to me, it speaks to the value that Salyer brings the table and the, as you and I have discussed now many times, the interesting choices and options available to Matt Luke and to, uh, you know, Kirby Smart to the extent that he has influence over this of exactly how you use someone who's no doubt a valuable commodity, but is he more valuable for your guard, a position you think he may play in the NFL, more valuable to your tackle, a position that he played a year ago and a position that has some uncertainty there at, at this point in time that, um, that you have, you know, these interesting options for how Salyer can be used. But one way or another, the Walter Camp folks here letting you know that this is a pretty valuable commodity uh, that Georgia has a chance to uh, use at its disposal here this season. He's such a huge asset. Uh, I don't want to undervalue the fact that you've got such a highly talented player that is willing to be selfless. I mean, usually at this point in a guy's career, um, you know, he, he's recognizing he's only a few months away from preparing for uh, playing this game at a professional level. And there's some individual aspirations that say, I want to be in a position that highlights my personal skill. And uh, everything that we've heard and seen from him is, I'm willing to do what's best for the team. And that's, if, if I'm at a tackle, if I'm at guard, despite my... Um, skill set, and, and, and I think he's very capable at both, but um, he's willing to play either just because that's what's best for the team. And, man, what an unbelievable uh, value add that is for, for the entire team, but specifically that offensive line group. It enables you to find um, the best five and put it out on the field, and it's because of his selflessness. I think the question ends up being to me there as well, for Georgia, who legitimately does have some unanswered questions along its offensive line right now, how you use the 
the talent, the skill set, maybe even the leadership quotient, how you use that from Salyer to make everybody else better. Because I, I do view offensive line as a chemistry position, obviously, but you would know this so much more than I do one way or another. But I think you might join me in saying there's certainly some chemistry in the way that guys play together. So how do you how do you take the best of what Salyer has to offer, whether it's at a guard or at a tackle spot, and use that to make the other four offensive linemen better? Is there an easy answer to that question? Uh, no, and, and especially not seeing practice on a daily basis. I think you can uh, also dictate the identity of the offense depending on uh, how you deploy this offensive line. If, if Xavier Truss is your left tackle, yeah, that's a big old joker coming in, and uh, you probably have more power run game potential than if uh, Jamari bumps out and you've got one of the, the younger guys coming in at guard. Maybe it's a situation where um, you're looking at the, the various plays that uh, really match the skill set of the front five that you have out there each week. So um, I think it's a big decision, and, and luckily you've got a lot of uh, high-potential players to, to pull from in that pool of offensive linemen in that meeting room. It'll be interesting to see you know, where does Schaefer end up. Is he the left guard playing next to Salyer, and you're bringing in a young guy like Kate Radledge at right guard, or are you going uh, Xavier Tross at left tackle and that bumps Schaefer over to right guard and, and pushes Jamal Usalier into, into that left guard position? So I think there's some flexibility, and that's just two names that are in the discussion and, and really dictate um, what you can do and what your strengths are once you – get out there for a Saturday. In the time we have left, I want to talk to you about JT Daniels a little bit. I was talking a moment ago about an interesting write-up from CBSSports.com listing JT Daniels as one of the top quarterbacks in the country. That's maybe not a surprise. And yet, in the description of Daniels, there's also the word potential that gets used here. In other words, suggesting that some of what we see from Daniels can be proven based on the games that he played a year ago. Some of this still based on the potential of what he might be able to do in a more you know, I, I guess a fuller season, a full season as starter there at UGA. My, my, my question to you would be this, John. How much do you think that Daniels proved a year ago, and how much do you think that Daniels kind of arrives in the 2021 season as kind of a sure thing, proven commodity, and how much of this for him still is a little bit of a projection of, well, this is what we think might be capable for him if it all kind of falls into place? Well, I think he came in and did an exceptional job with what uh, the opportunities that he was given. Obviously, you start off the year, and he's not even in the top two of the depth chart and, and has to wait well into the season before he gets his opportunity. And I think health was a, was a major factor in that decision. And as you and I have discussed multiple times on this show, you're not given a number of opportunities to kind of show where you're at in practice once you start the season, you're trying to get number one and number two up and running. I thought it was pretty savvy on, on JT's part to, to want those uh, practice team, practice squad reps uh, just so he could continue his skill development and be ready once that opportunity did present itself, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was after the bye week. Yeah. So um, he's a guy that w- once got once he was given that chance, I thought he really flourished, but it's an incomplete picture. I mean, it, he's, he's never come into a season in Athens where he was the name starter, where he had all of the opportunity to work with that number one squad, both with uh, protection but primarily with the wide receiver core. So this is, this is a great um, – uh, I, I think potential is, is a word that you should use. I think we saw uh, what at least flashes of what he's capable of and once you have the nine months of, of working and getting those reps and understanding that um, you can build your system around one particular player and his strengths and skill set, I think that's going to really lend itself more to uh, maximizing your potential across the board. And uh, it's a marriage of what he, sh- what, he, what he was able to prove on the field in a limited capacity last season and the potential that – uh, now that you know he's the guy, what that looks like with the, the weapons you can surround him with. Let me give you a couple numbers here real quick. Now, in the second start for Daniels uh, for Georgia against South Carolina, they only threw it 16 times. But the other games, 38 attempts against Mississippi State, 27 attempts against Missouri, 38 attempts 
against uh, Cincinnati in the bowl game. You know, this is a Georgia team that from time to time is kind of thought of as obviously a run-first type team, and yet the fact that Munkin, having seen Daniels during practice, having worked with him in film room, having done that kind of stuff with him, the fact that from kind of the word go, they trusted him to throw the ball that much. Now, the South Carolina game is the one outlier there because, frankly, the Gamecocks could not stop the run that day. Georgia averaged nearly 10 yards carry. Uh, but other than that, you know, you're, you're throwing the ball all over the place with Daniels. That's the kind of freedom that I don't think you give a quarterback that you don't trust. So how much should Georgia fans believe in Daniels coming into the upcoming season? The fact that the Georgia coaches believed in him so much last year, I think is a big answer to that question, at least in my mind. What, what, what an advantage is to be able to, one, you have a stable of backs that, uh, you know, with returning veteran presence, Cook, Zamir, some young guys that Kyle they're just chopping at the bit. And, and then you complement it with a quarterback that uh, shows that a workload of over 35 pass attempts a game is not too much for him. There's a number of quarterbacks across this conference and really throughout college football that you just know there's a, there's a ceiling. You can't go past a certain number without expecting a drop-off where there's going to be turnovers created or uh, he just doesn't have that capacity. JT Daniels is that quarterback that – uh, you can count on to, to be responsible with the ball um, in his hands and making those decisions 35-plus times a game. That's, uh, that, that is such, such a freeing, liberating uh, asset for any coordinator out there that says, now we've got uh, more ways to a, a attack a defense, and I trust him, I can trust this player to make those decisions multiple, multiple, multiple times a game. I think it's a huge asset, um, which only enables Georgia to do, do more things heading into this season. John, it's always great to get a chance to speak to you. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I know there's going to be a lot of fun things happening in the uh, weeks to come, and I can't wait to get your perspective on all of that, and we'll look forward to getting a chance to hopefully speak to you very soon. Always a blast being there. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, one more thing on that JT Daniels potential thing that uh, the CBS Sports writers wrote about there. That, you know, when we kind of did some number projections from Daniels uh, a couple of months ago, whenever it was we did that on the show, like the one thing that we said here was, and I briefly mentioned this off the top of the program here today, that, okay, so you saw Daniels play four games a year ago, one really good defense Cincinnati, some you know, lesser competition, at least from an SEC standpoint, Missouri, South Carolina, uh, Mississippi State prior to that. So you didn't have the very best teams that Georgia would play, like the Alabamas of the world. But you also didn't have the the, you know, the easiest games. I mean, there, there are a lot of quarterbacks who really pad their stats against, you know, group of five, you know, low lower tier uh, FCS type teams. And they, you know, pad a lot of stats, get a lot of touchdowns. And, and, you know, kind of give themselves a pretty stat line by playing those kinds of games. Daniels for Georgia a year ago did not have the benefit of being able to do that. So the four games that he did play a year ago I think are actually fairly representative. It's still a small sample size. I certainly get that. But I, I think it's fairly easy to project from that what he might be able to do here this upcoming season there as well. I just think for me, with apologies to Jake Fromm, who obviously – in 2018, I think the Fromm had a really good season in 2018. I uh, did not have a good game against LSU, but had a good season overall. So with apologies to Fromm maybe in 2018, coming back as a returning starter from the 2017 season, I think this is the best setup Georgia has had at quarterback to start a season since Kirby Smart has been head coach in Athens. Uh, a guy in Daniels who, who threw the ball a lot last year and threw it well when he did in the games that he got a chance to play and you'll always be left to wonder well how good could he have been if he played against florida or if he'd been healthy enough to be the starter for the full season we will honestly never know the answer to that but for georgia fans who've kind of felt now for a while they are just a quarterback away from being able to do what they want to do i think daniels gives you some reason as ben kerchival for cbs sports suggests there uh, Daniels gives you some reason to believe that this is as good a setup at quarterback as Smart has had since he's been coach. And by the way, that says even nothing about the potential succession plan you've got now post JT Daniels with Brock Vandergriff already being here and then, uh, you know, uh, Carson Beck, you know, working to 
kind of you know make his name uh, known there as well. And of course, future class of Gunnar Stockton. Uh, the quarterback situation at George has all of a sudden gotten pretty interesting, and I think that's probably worth mentioning there a little bit. Let me uh, shift gears this to this uh, SEC through time now. By the way, uh, before I do that, let me also shout out my friends at SecondChance.Law. I love what they do for so many folks because I'm a big believer in Second Chances, and I like the fact that a company like this has dedicated themselves so much to Second Chances that it's actually in their name, in their website, SecondChance.Law. Many of you know this. There are new Georgia laws that for those people who have that like thing in their past, they'd just love to go back and do differently to, to erase that from their record or, you know, at least get it kind of restricted off their you know history. You know, that's what new Georgia law provides you a chance to do in some cases when it comes to your criminal history. And that means better chances at jobs, better chances at, in some cases, where you might be able to live. There's just a lot of benefits if you can kind of get this taken care of. Of course, the law oftentimes very confusing, but secondchance.law makes it less confusing because all you have to do is answer a free online quiz. Just simply give answers to the questions they provide. And when that online quiz is done, you will know if you're eligible or not. And the good news is that even if you're not eligible, my friends at secondchance.law may be able to advise you about how you can become eligible. So a lot of benefit to you on this. If it's uh, not enough, let me also tell you that one of the partners is longtime listener to Dog Nation Daily, former Red Coat Band member, uh, double dog, two-time graduate of the University of Georgia. This is this is a real, you know, strong company with deep ties to Athens and you know, longtime heritage around the University of Georgia. Good friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. So I can't recommend them strongly enough. Secondchance.law. That's the website. Make sure you ch- check that out today. I did see where Florida got a couple of commitments over the weekend. I guess most prominently, Shamar James, a number seven prospect out of the state of Alabama, linebacker, pretty good player, uh, four-star type guy. So Florida gets a fairly big name there. They also get a commitment from a, uh, a receiver, Chandler Smith, out of the Sunshine State. But it's James who's probably the bigger name here throughout all of this. And it kind of, I guess, is kind of a reminder for a lot of Georgia fans who've been hosting all these visits and you know seeing a lot of big names come through not having pulled the trigger yet on any kind of public commitment and all of that. Maybe some folks have to wonder, when's Georgia going to get its big commit after all the visits it had been hosting? Because James commits to the Gators shortly after having taken a visit there. You know, I wouldn't, you know, suggest that Georgia's money means behind schedule in terms of the commitments that it got in. Actually, it was kind of already standing pretty high on the list of public commits prior to all these visits taking place. So Georgia was a little ahead of the pack when it comes to some of this recruiting stuff anyway prior to all of this. But, you know, you have to be honest here for a moment. Florida does get a, a couple of commits. I also skipped a story I was going to do. I apologize for that. You could tell that I'm just back from vacation. I'm doing stories out of order on the uh, show sheet here and making things hard for our producer, Michael Carvel, today. I apologize for that. Uh, the point is Florida does get two commits over the weekend. Another story I was going to mention, and speaking of CBS, that uh, very interesting piece from Dennis Dodd looking at the recent history of Nick Saban reclamation projects and the coaches that he's kind of taken, in many cases, almost off the scrap heap and turned into, you know, big-time type guys. Obviously, Steve Sarkeesian was kind of an example of that after, you know, out of his job there with the Falcons and obviously, uh, you know, a guy who had had, you know, some issue, uh, you know, going back to his time at USC. Many of you are very well aware of that. And all of a sudden, Sarkeesian becomes offensive coordinator after having been an analyst, and now he's head coach at Texas. And I would say that Nick Saban gets a lot of the credit for the kind of career rehabilitation that Sarkeesian went through. You could say something similar of Lane Kiffin, who also spent some time at USC and was kind of in a weird spot in his career. He comes to Alabama. He's kind of credited with helping Saban overhaul his offense and modernize his offense. And now, after a couple of stops, Lane Kiffin is head coach at Ole Miss. I think that that Kiffin would give Saban a lot of credit. And so there's a story up now about, you know, I guess kind of trying to do the same thing for Bill O'Brien and where kind of O'Brien stands in all of this. O'Brien, the coach who was fired from the Houston Texans was an NFL head coach and kind of now comes to be a college offensive coordinator. There are very few programs who can make a hire like that, Alabama being obviously the the team at the top of the list when it comes to all of that. Here's the one thing I'm going to say, and I've said this before. I think you've got to be very careful in assuming that, oh, yeah, it worked for Saban with uh, Lane Kiffin and it worked with Steve Sarkeesian, and now the latest example of that is going to be Bill O'Brien. Be very, very careful assuming this is a plug-and-play situation for O'Brien in an offense that Sarkeesian had working as well as he had this one working a year ago. 
life is just not that easy to predict. And the the standard that Sarkeesian set with the way that he ran this offense a year ago, as we've said, last year Nick Saban was not Alabama's most important coach. He was the most famous coach and obviously considered the greatest, you know, at this point in time, likely the greatest coach of all time. But last year, his impact on Alabama, I believe, was lesser than the impact that Steve Sarkeesian had. You don't lose someone like that who had the team scoring nearly 50 points per game. You don't lose someone like that and just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, the next guy is going to be just as good, if not better, than the previous guy. O'Brien may go on to great success, but you can't discount just how good Sarkeesian truly was at Alabama a year ago. So maybe O'Brien lined up to be the next in the kind of uh, success story here, the the you know transition, the rehabilitation projects. Maybe it works out quite that simple. But sometimes I would say the things in life aren't quite that easy to predict. So if you're an SEC West team or even a Georgia team kind of looking across to the SEC championship come December, an Alabama offense, it's not maybe quite as um, – on par with what it was uh, the last couple of years with Sarkeesian at the helm, that's at least a possibility uh, to consider. I was going to do another story. Let me just wait and save that for tomorrow. I've gone a little bit long here. We'll make that your SEC through. I thought this was funny. You know, we're going to get back to our golden shoes here. We do a Gatorade roll call every day on the show. We give out a golden shoe in honor of the uh, lousy, stinking Gators. Of course, the Marco Wilson throne shoe that cost Florida the game against LSU last season. We have some fun with that from time to time. And, you know, Dan Mullen always awkward in the recruiting trail. Latest example of that. Let me show you this on the screen here for a moment. I'm going to try to explain this to you. So there is a recruit for the class of 2022 named Terrence Brooks. There was also a player on Florida State's 2013 national championship uh, team who was also Terrence Brooks. So Logan Robinson shares this on Twitter that apparently Dan Mullen on Instagram reached out to Terrence uh, Brooks on Instagram thinking it was the recruit. Come to find out it was the Florida State player. <laughs> if you're watching on video, you can see it on your screen. Uh, Brooks had a pretty strong response back to Dan Mullen. That's all very good stuff. We'll make that our golden shoe winner for today. By the way, speaking of those Gators, how about 131 days from right now? Georgia gets some revenge against Florida. Y'all, it's good to be back. Thanks for letting me be here with you. I'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast. Cool, down. it's good to be with all of you again here in this format. I look forward to reading a lot of your comments in the days to come. I'm going to scrap the typical format for today, though, just because as we are recording this today some late breaking news kind of comes in here the ncaa has lost a case at the supreme court level in regards to the kinds of compensation college athletes can get now this is somewhat confusing and i'm going to probably butcher some of this this is not about necessarily getting paid to play sports it's about um additional like academic compensation things like that like laptops and 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 things along those lines uh, but I think what some of the legal community seems to say here about all of this is it's also potentially an even bigger loss for college sports down the line, at least based on some of the early analysis. I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, whoever your favorite legal analyst is, Roger Cossack or Greta Van Susteren or whoever it is that you've trusted for your legal analysis on TV over the years. I'm not going to pretend to be that person, Alan Dershowitz or something like that. But I will read you a line here from Brett Kavanaugh, one of the Supreme Court justices. This is being passed around on social media a little bit, um, you know, just in the immediate aftermath of this of this ruling here from the Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh writing that the bottom line is, the NCAA and its member colleges are su suppressing the pay of student-athletes who collectively generate billions of dollars in revenues for colleges every year. Those enormous sums of money flow to seemingly everyone except the student-athletes, Kavanaugh says. College presidents, athletic directors, coaches, conference commissioners, and NCAA executives take in six- and seven-figure salaries. Colleges build lavish new facilities. But the student-athletes who generate the revenues, many of whom are African-Americans, Kavanaugh says, and from lower-income backgrounds, end up with little or nothing. So that's Brett Kavanaugh and, and his conclusion uh, writing as a part of this uh, Supreme Court decision here today, and it seems to echo the feelings of some others there as well. 
And all I can say about this is it's going to take more time for us to unpack everything related to this and how it's going to impact the implementation of name image likeness um, rules. It certainly seems like on the basis of this, a kind of a national blanket NIL standard, maybe now less likely because of all of this. But I just find myself wanting to reiterate something I've said before, that I am still very much in favor of the idea of amateurism as it has existed in the NCAA for my lifetime and in some form or fashion as it exists around college football for the last 150 years. I just think it's working for far more people than it's not. And, you know, if you go, you know, around the state of Georgia to the places where high school football is being played, the place where other sports are being played, you know, you don't see tremendous dissatisfaction with the future of college athletics about the current system what you see is not not dissatisfaction with how, how it's put together, but deep yearning to be a part of that. So if you want to know why coaches make so much money, administrators make so much money, because they have either created or they are the caretaker of uh, an entity that makes people happy. It makes the people who play it happy. It makes the fans who watch it happy. It is one of the most important institutions we have in America, bar none, bar none. College sports exist, I think, as important as almost anything that just kind of holds our society, the fabric of our society together. In fact, we saw how true that was last year. We almost didn't have it. And we were kind of forced to reckon with what life would be like if we didn't have this thing in our life. And so to Supreme Court justices or to, to lawmakers or just you know random media people, you can nitpick with it and you can kind of you know tear at the thread of it. You can you can. You could pull it apart. You could destroy it if you wanted to. It would be possible to, to, to poke enough holes in the, in, the, in the idea of this to actually destroy it, to topple it, to bring it down. But what are you going to put it in its place? You know, um, you know, what are you going to build that, that serves as many people as what college sports has served? So I think at this point in time, it's still very much uh, undecided how all of this is going to play out. But certainly this is being being spun as a pretty bad loss for the NCAA. And there's a lot about the NCAA that I don't like. And there's also probably a lot about this kind of stuff that I'm not smart enough to fully process. But I do think college sports is working for a lot of people right now. And to, to mess around with that and, you know, to, to disregard the, the value that this institution provides, I think that can be a pretty dangerous thing. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, We'll take more of your comments tomorrow. Always hit me up on Twitter at DogNationDaily about the show or um, at DogNation.com. We post the show each and every day. I look forward to reading a lot of what you have to say tomorrow, and maybe we'll even weigh on this some more. But this just coming out here in the last little bit, a Supreme Court case that would seem to have some negative implications on the future of the NCAA's definition of amateurism. We will follow that, see where it goes. Of course, uh, rsandrews.com, they'll take care of you for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Find them online at rsandrews.com. You'll have a great day. I'll see you back tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I'll look forward to speaking to you then, everybody.